0: blog talk radio
1: welcome i'm janet richmond and this is the higher self voice hi everyone it's wednesday our show day and we have such an exciting show for you guys today i have a guest on her name is rosemary ellen guiley first of all not only is she an amazing person all on her own but she's also taking part in the Contact on the, in the Desert Expo, which is May 29th, 30th, and 31st in Joshua Tree. So I'm excited. And now, I'm, before I put Rosemary on the mic, I'm going to give you a little background, a little, you know, bio about her. Rosemary Guiley is a leading researcher and investigator in paranormal phenomena, ET experiences, Cryptids, uh, Spirit Communications, The Afterlife, and much more. She's the author of 60 books, guys. So she's worked in the field for more than 30 years, and she also serves on the advisory board of the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters. She spends a lot of time in the field. She investigates cases uh, and areas of paranormal activity and interviews witnesses, etc. cetera. She lectures internationally and makes many media appearances. She's a frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM, and she's co-authored a book with George Norrie, Talking to the Dead, about the technological advances in communication with the dead. In addition, Rosemary runs her own independent publishing company, Visionary Living, Inc., and she also publishes a monthly newsletter called Strange Dimensions. She has a background as a journalist, a certified hypnotist, she conducts regressions for past lives and contact and abduction experiences. Hello. Hi there, Janet. Hi. It's so, so good to have you on, really, Rosemary. And, you know, before I go on, I just want to ask you, did I leave out anything in the bio that you would like to share?
0: Well, you certainly covered the highlights, and you're right. I've done so much over the past 30 years and really a lifelong quest. Uh, The bio just keeps getting longer and longer. But um, one of the things that I would like to mention, and I'm sure we'll get into it today, uh, is uh, what I'm really going to be getting into in Contact in the Desert. Um, I have done groundbreaking research on the gin And that was my website, ginuniverse.com, which is an educational site solely devoted to gin experiences. And uh, the relationship between these supernatural entities, our paranormal experiences, and our ET experiences, as well as abductions. And uh, I really um, kind of opened the door, blazed a trail for further inquiry there. There are many other researchers in the West now uh, picking up on that. Uh, They've been kind of under the radar for a long time. And uh, also the research in spirit communications and the afterlife,
1: really very
0: important uh, to bring technology and science uh, into a merger with uh, what I would call low tech. It's really not low tech, it's just old tech, you know, mediumship uh, and uh, other forms of reaching into the spirit world, many streams of Skill and uh, devices and tools now coming together, uh, I think we're going to see more and more breakthroughs in uh, that area, bridging us to the afterlife and to the spirit worlds in more and more evidential ways. So, uh, just two of the thrusts in my research. um, I will say that, you know, from a very young age, uh, I was curious about everything, I absolutely was fascinated by the paranormal. And uh, the mysterious, the mystical, uh, and um, my natural curiosity to want to know about everything as much as possible uh, led me to cover all of these areas. And uh, so I, I have a few specializations, but this uh, looking into the cross connections very early in my research. Uh, as I got older, I saw that all of these areas overlap and they're interconnected. Um, these are not neat little pie charts that you can take slices out of that are complete and discreet and not connected to anything else. So um, I'm uh, one of the those researchers who really takes uh, a, a broad approach to uh, all of these uh, kinds of things, whether it's mystical, angelic, beneficial, benevolent, spiritual growth, or it's dark and demonic or mysterious, um, you know, and everything in between. Uh, there are these really less than six degrees of separation holding everything together. And that's one of the things that's fascinated me, too. So um, that's that's another kind of short of it in terms of, um, you know, how I approach my work.
1: Well, um, I would like to just say one thing. First of all, I think it's great to have someone out there that works in in doing the connections so that – There's a kind of a gestalt viewpoint of some of this phenomenon. And so, because you've been in the field for so long, you're able, you're one who can do that. You don't have just a specialty in one of the paranormal uh, events or phenomenon uh, like some others do, which of course is very important and also very interesting. But I like your gestalt approach because you've got so much experience. But I do have one one little question for you. Did you have any experience when you were young that that kind of led you to that this whole idea or this whole arena? Was there one event or did you have a paranormal experience yourself?
0: There wasn't one event. Uh, and some people do have uh like an opening breakthrough event that um you know pushes them in this direction. And uh, for other people, it's um, it's more of a collective kind of a bag of experiences. Well, I was just like any other kid. You know, I had paranormal experiences. I think we all do when we're young. And uh, for most of us, it, it falls in, into the backdrop, and even uh, they're forgotten as we get older because um, – Uh, In childhood, the the more you socialize in the outer world and the more you start uh, interacting with people and learning how to, you know, cope on your own, um, the more this uh, bridge world recedes into the background. And uh, that's very typical, too. So I had, um, you know, experiences mostly with angels and fairies. I really didn't uh, see the dead until I was much older uh if i had any experiences with the dead when i was younger i've uh they were not remarkable in terms of in, impressing themselves on me but angels and fairies were very much in the foreground um uh, and the thing that i one of the things that ignited my interest in this field aside from a curiosity about it that i had just from the beginning uh was uh the fact that my mother had a lot of psychic dreams and uh, she had experiences, too, with visitations and, you know, seeing things. Um, psychic abilities seem to run in my matrilineal line. My maternal grandmother, who died when I was only about eight or nine years old, um, my mother said had the gift, too. Uh, and I think there are a lot of families like this, that um, uh, these uh, these gifts are present to varying degrees and whether or not the individuals choose to do anything with it Um, remains, uh, you know, really uh, a personal decision, and um, when I was younger, I was um, fascinated by the idea that you could dream the future, Uh, and this uh, set me on a study course of my dreams and dreams in general, Uh, and so when when I was in uh, high school, by the time I was in high school, I was uh, experimenting with my dreams to astral travel and Send and receive messages, looking at the future, and uh, do what would be called today extraordinary dreaming. So that was a major underpinning, Um, and uh, I was uh, convinced of reincarnation by the time I was 15. um, And even though I was, you know, reincarnation was not in my upbringing, I was completely convinced of it. Um, I felt I had lived before. And it made total sense to me in the grand scheme of things, rather than a single life and eternity in in some other uh, state, uh, because there's a being who says, you know, what you're going to do with eternity. So uh, those were uh, major directions. I became involved in the tarot uh, very young, uh, divination, um, understanding symbols, and uh, symbols that opened up doorways to other realms. These were all in a mix, uh, along with um, my very early desire to be an astronomer. Uh, From about the time I was seven years old, I wanted to be an astronomer. And I find this interest in a lot of people in my field now, who are in the paranormal and uh, ufology fields, that an early interest in astronomy was very significant uh, to that. And I think it's important because... Uh, Studying astronomy puts your mind uh, out into the cosmos, and uh, if you start at a very early age, uh, you grapple with some very abstract and big concepts about space, infinity, light, um, how the universe came into being, uh, is there anyone out there but us? Uh, the reason why I did not go into astronomy professionally is I basically had a head-on head-on collision with math when I was very young
1: oh. and
0: uh, unless you get a PhD in physics or math you know you're just not going to be a professional astronomer so uh, it it took me a while to realize that even even though I was um, uh, very interested in astronomy and I, I still am I was a uh, an amateur astronomer, I would call call myself a professional amateur astronomer. I was an officer of the Seattle Astronomical Society for years, uh, wow. and uh, wow. it's continued to be a side interest of mine. But I really was supposed to be a writer in this life. I came out of the womb writing, and um, that that was something that it took a while to, to dawn on me that you know not everybody. You know, you're in school and everybody has to write papers. It seems like everybody writes, you know. Um, But I was uh, 15 years old, and that seems to be kind of a turning point year for me uh, in a lot of ways when I realized that I had uh, an exceptional ability to write. And uh, since the math end of things was not going very well, uh, I shifted my um, academic study into journalism, creative writing, and communications. And uh, so I've happily been able to marry all of these interests in uh, my professional pursuit now for uh, for several decades. And I, I feel very blessed for that, that I could bring in my interests and in, in knowledge of astronomy. I've got my uh, personal interests uh, in all of these areas and my professional ability as a writer, all of these things combining. And... Um, I I don't really consider this a job. It's it's uh, my life journey. You know, my life is my work and my work is my life.
1: Yes, I I would agree Rosemary. I think you're blessed. You you made of it what what you made of it. I mean, you had the interest and you developed them all. I'm just astounded and it's very exciting to know that somebody can do that. Um it's for the listeners, let's all pay attention to Rosemary. We can make our life destiny are everything for you know we can make it everything we want we aren't limited and i understand about the astronomy too that that sort of uh, that science is all about the bigger questions you know all about the universe and where we come from and all of the why's and wherefores um okay now i want to just mention i want to get all the contact in the desert information out right up front in person for those people who want to go to contact in the desert Rosemary is a headliner there. She's a featured speaker, and she has a lecture. Her first lecture will be Friday, uh, the 29th, from 4 to 6 p.m. in the Lotus Room. She's going to be discussing extraterrestrial encounters and abductions, and that they have a hidden side involving little-known entities, the jinn, who have been involved in human affairs throughout history, from ancient aliens to abducting ETs. Their presence and abductions has been documented for more than 50 years, yet their identities have gone unrecognized. Rosemary will examine how and why the jinn are interacting with us, providing a new perspective on both ancient and modern encounters. They are also interfering in our technology and global affairs, and their reach extends even to into the afterlife. Now she's written a book the di- The connection, a hidden links between djinn, shadow people, e.ts, Nephilim, oh gosh, I'm sorry if I'm going to mispronounce this. Archons, archons, reptilians archons. and other archons, reptilians and yes. other entities, which reveals how the djinn participate in abductions and interfere in technology. Wow. okay, so. Can, can you explain a little bit more about the djinn, you know, where they come from, who they are, how much, how do you know what you know about them, and a little bit maybe on how they interfere with our technology? Uh,
0: they share the planet with us. The djinn in various uh, creation stories uh, preceded us on the planet, and uh lost their place to us and there are different explanations as to how that came about but the bottom line is uh, after human beings came along they lost their dominance on this and uh, were were either forced to retreat to another realm or voluntarily did so or combination thereof and in earlier times these retreats uh, were often described as uh, things like going underground we find this with the fairies uh, this is also said of the reptilians, uh, both of whom have relationships to the jinn. And from a modern perspective, we can see this as going into a parallel dimension, which certainly explains uh, some of the behavior and abilities of the jinn. They have no known form. Uh, they are said to uh, be created out of smokeless fire or even the wind, uh, yet they have uh, very advanced shape-shifting abilities to uh, take on just whatever form they they want. And they have the ability to spend time in our realm, and many of them are interested in people. A lot of them aren't. Um, they're, uh, they have temperaments like people. They are good, bad, and different. They are not all of a single mind, a single purpose, uh, a single attitude. Uh, And I find it curious that human beings want to categorize other entities, even extraterrestrials, as gingerbread uh, cookies. You know, they all look the same, uh, they all act the same, uh, they all have the same purpose, the same agenda, and this is simply not the case. Uh, We would not like it if um, other beings came to this planet and said, oh, all human beings look alike and they all act the same way and they're all good or they're all bad. Uh, We would take great offense at that. And uh, so, uh, so it is with these other realms. That uh, they have their their good ones and you know their bad ones. Uh, unfortunately for us, most of our encounters with them uh, are skewed toward the negative. Which means we are when we deal with the jinn, we are dealing primarily with ones who um, either don't like us, want to fool around with us, or uh, are extremely hostile to us. And uh, that definitely colors our perspective on who these beings are and why they want to be engaged with people. So throughout the ages, the jinn have shared the planet with us. Uh, Some of them stick in their own realms. Some of them uh, have a foot in both realms. And um, some of them deliberately want to interact with human people, and others will only interact with us if... um, uh, Necessary. For example, uh, they feel that we've stepped on their toes in some way. And uh, I've been aware of the jinn for a very long time. Um, they are in early Arabian mythology and folk tales. These were set down in writing uh, from the 1700s on in French and English as uh, the Book of 1001 Nights or the Arabian Nights. And consequently, in our culture, um, we haven't really regarded the djinn as uh, much more than silly genies in bottles and lamps. And that's how the French translated uh, the term gin. Uh Their name means the hidden ones. Djinn uh, got translated into "genie" in uh, French. It was restored in English translations, especially by Sir Richard Burton, who um, still has the most authoritative translation today, I think, I believe, from having done it in the late 19th century. But at any rate, uh, most of the world knows about the jinn, and we here in the West know very little about the jinn. I would like to stress the jinn are not a Muslim thing, they are not an Islamic thing, just because they came out of ancient Arabia, which was in pre Islamic times anyway. Uh, they have been known around the world through many names. Uh, They're in every culture, every race, every part of the planet. They pay no attention to race, culture, geography, politics. Uh, They are all over the planet just like we are. And they are engaged with us in many paranormal ways. They have a role in ET abductions. They have a role in hauntings. They can possess people. Uh, They can develop fond attachments to people. Uh, And... uh, Over the course of time, in researching a lot of negative cases that had no satisfactory explanation, uh, it uh, became apparent to me that uh, the reason why we here in the West find no good explanations for many things is because we're dealing with entities that are off our radar, and that's the djinn.
1: I think. So oh, interesting, Rosemary, and you're going to be talking about this at the lecture. Again, it's Friday, guys, from 4 to 6, uh, the 29th, at the Contact in the Desert Expo. Uh, maybe I'll meet some of oh, my that listeners that
0: wonderful. Here. Yeah, I would it really... That would be wonderful, Jane. Would... Hmm?
1: Excuse I said me?
0: Uh, that certainly would be wonderful. Uh, what I'll be presenting is, um, you know, I'm always having uh, new data and new findings, and uh, the Gin Connection, is uh, my second book on the gin. My first was the Vengeful Gin. Uh, the most material uh, about the ET connection and ancient aliens is in the gin connection. So that's the book that I usually recommend to people to read. And um, I will have uh, new cases and, and new data. Uh, I'm constantly finding um, new uh, new leads on the ginn that uh, reveal the extent of their activities and getting uh, corroborating data. Uh, even if uh, folks have uh, heard me on YouTube or the radio before talking about the gin, uh, or they've read the gin connection, they will uh, find uh, the lecture very, very interesting. Great,
1: great. I'm going to definitely make an effort to to attend. I can't go for the whole weekend, but I just want to go for that Friday, and I'm excited. So this is perfect. Um, Okay, now Rosemary is also going to be giving a workshop in the morning, Saturday morning from 8.30 to 10.30, on living on an interdimensional earth. And this is how it's explained. Many of our entity contact experiences involve beings that are interdimensional, sharing the earth with us in different dimensional realms. These include some of the beings labeled extraterrestrials. Our contact experiences, including abductions, are contributing to an expansion of consciousness on a collective level. Ultimately, humanity will be in an open sharing of the planet with a variety of beings, all of whom have their own agendas. Drawing upon her case and fieldwork, Rosemary will address key questions. How can we prepare ourselves for interdimensional integration and protect our free will and sovereignty? How will we be changed physically and spiritually? How will the earth itself and physical reality be changed? And the emerging interdimensional earth presents one of the greatest challenges to humanity ever experienced. Now, you don't have to explain your whole lecture, but how fascinating is all of that? So maybe you can just tell me a little bit about what do you mean by interdimensional earth?
0: Well, it's... um a picture of our reality uh, that really is supported by science, uh, the idea that we have up to 11 dimensions in our universe, and uh, that the Earth is uh, layered with uh, parallel dimensions that are attached to the planet. Uh, this is a model that really explains most of our extraordinary experiences. I'm I'm not ruling out visitors from other worlds. I think we have been visited by beings from other worlds. But most of our contact experiences and our paranormal experiences uh, come from dimensions that share the planet with us. There are other dimensions full of other kinds of beings and maybe even different versions of ourselves that are right here on Earth. And they vibrate at different rates, and most of the time we don't experience them except under the right conditions when we're in like one of these so called portal areas uh or uh we have a bleed through of uh, of dimensional boundaries um, i believe okay. and i um uh, I believe, and I think the research and the uh, subjective experiences supports this support this that um our reality is expanding and that at some point uh, these boundaries between us and other dimensions, not necessarily all of them, but may be the one, one or more closest to us, most significant to us, uh, these are going to get thinner and thinner and, and may even disappear altogether so that we will be living on a planet, beings now uh, that we consider to be paranormal uh, or extraordinary, uh, beings who have different forms than us, shapeshifters, beings who may not have any defined physical form, uh, we are likely to change in the process of this. This is happening right now. Uh, It's happening to us every day. And uh, the more we are talking about our experiences and contemplating them and uh, uh, learning about them globally, uh, because we have global mind now, uh, this in turn is... Uh, shaping uh, the reality that continues to change uh, around us. So, the challenge for us then is uh, how is our reality shifting? How quickly is it shifting? And how are we going to have to adapt to it? Because we have neighbors, we've always had neighbors that we've never had to de- deal with except in, in these extraordinary circumstances. We are going to have neighbors in the not too distant future who are these beings from other realms and how are we all going to live side by side
1: and can you answer some of that i mean how will it change our reality how will it i mean how will it how will we experience it
0: uh well for one thing psychic abilities uh will be changing on a mass scale uh everybody has psychic ability we're all born with it and we all have the ability to improve it. So this is a faculty that is going to increase uh, among human beings. And uh, our physical nature may change. Uh, We may not have such a dense body anymore. Uh, We will be able to project our consciousness uh, far more readily than we do now. And so are we going to acquire some kind of form that enables us to bleed through into these other realities. These beings seem to have the ability to come into our reality, um, but um, how many of us talk about dropping in on Bigfoot? You know, oh, you know, I visited Bigfoot the other day. Uh, I I do um, have interviews with people who say they've uh, visited the djinn in their world, but only when the jinn expressly have taken them into their world. Um, So this is an ability that's, probably going to expand, uh, and uh, then we're simply going to have to accommodate um, all of these uh, these other forms who have a right to be on this planet and an interest in being on this planet, and so uh, how does this affect how, how we live, where we live, and how we use our resources?
1: Interesting. So the gin right now, they're not using our resources. They have their own resources from wherever they're from, is what I'm getting. So if they do join us on the planet, they wouldn't be using the planet's resources, would they? Or would they?
0: Uh, well, they do uh, in different energetic sorts of sorts of ways. They they okay. do make use of the resources on the planet. And so if we use everything up, that they are benefiting of. Uh, from in some other vibrational way um, then uh, then we've impacted their ability to thrive and survive
1: oh I see I see okay all right, <laughs> wow, this is a whole new world opening up. I must say. And do you have any idea of the timing when all of this will sort of move into beingness on the planet? Do you have any ideas of that? Is it something in the next few years or a century or two?
0: It depends on uh, how fast things change among us. Um, it, you look at history and sometimes there are periods where change is very slow and then all of a sudden bang there's uh, an exponential growth in something. Uh, the trend is toward exponential uh, growth of all kinds because uh, of the nature of technology, the Internet, and global mind, which is literally changing the, the uh, nature of human consciousness and connectivity. So it's really hard to uh, to put a time frame on it. Uh, it may not be in our immediate lifetimes, but... Um, What we do now will significantly affect anything that follows in successive generations. So we have a tremendous responsibility right now uh, to uh, be informed, uh, aware, and uh, participating in a productive way.
1: I see. Can you give me some ideas about what participating in a productive way might be, simply because there. Listeners might be saying, "Oh, I really need to do that." What would you suggest?
0: Uh, it depends on, uh, and I don't want to give the whole workshop away. I don't want to like do the workshop on no, the radio. No, no, oh, that's right. No,
1: well, no, we but, don't want
0: to do that.
1: <laughs> oh, is that what the workshop then is going to help
0: with? It's uh, help a lot learn. of it. A lot of it's going to depend on the kinds of experiences that people have, where they're at in their own uh, perceptions. Uh, the kinds of experiences they've had, whether they're good or bad, um, if they are able to cultivate relationships with particular kinds of beings, um, are, are they meditating, uh, where are they living, how are they using their resources, uh, are they paying attention to dream work, uh, a whole host of factors become involved in this.
1: I see. That makes sense. And you you would address those in this workshop it really, kind of on an individual basis for those who sign up well it's
0: it's a work it's not a one on one workshop um so the workshop's going to have a format uh, you know geared toward all of the participants in terms of where are we at uh what are these factors involved uh in changing reality and uh what are some of the specific areas that we need to address. And who are the best people to do that? Uh, and uh, you know what? What can the in, individual do versus uh, what we can expect from uh, organized society? Uh, there will be you know some philosophical uh, considerations uh, as well as uh, practical um, applications.
1: I see. Sounds fabulous. Sounds fabulous. So
0: this is my first time at Contact in the Desert. I'm quite excited about it. It's the third annual event, and it got off to a rocket start right away as uh, one of the events in um, ancient aliens, ufology, and and many other related topics. So um, I I have a feeling we're going to have uh, quite a community of um, some of the best researchers in the field providing all sorts of perspectives on just about any question the audience uh, wishes to raise.
1: I know. It sounds fabulous. It really does. The topic it, for the panel was UFO spirituality. That was the overall topic for the panel. So it promises to be really fascinating. So I'm sure...
0: And then- Yes, and there are so many perspectives to that as well. You know, we have uh, hard evidence and then we have uh, interdimensional evidence. I, um, I believe that many of the craft and sightings that um, humans have seen uh, throughout the years are interdimensional in nature. And, um, I, again, there's, there's really no one explanation that fits everything. And here again, we have the tendency to want to shoehorn everything into one uh, catch-all explanation uh, when, in fact, there could be uh, many explanations for these experiences. Uh, I've always weighed heavily in favor of the interdimensional aspects of our um, sightings and encounters and extraordinary experiences. These would be expansions of consciousness uh, with uh, the right conditions And uh, this is uh, one of the things that I'm getting at in the interdimensional earth is that those conditions are changing so that these uh, sorts of experiences are going to become more and more frequent to more and more people. Uh, Well, as we know from uh, history, just uh, in terms of talking to contactees and abductees and uh, even people who've had, for example, Bigfoot sightings, um, that depending upon the individual, such an experience can be uh, mind-expanding, maybe even uh, considered to be quite wonderful and exciting, and for other individuals can be completely terrifying or can be very upsetting to their worldview that has been formed through their personal uh, and cultural conditioning and even uh, religious orientation. So our extraordinary experiences um, have tremendous trans transformational power uh for some they're very validating and for others uh they require a, a complete rewiring uh of of every belief they've ever had and uh, so um we're not all on an on an even playing field in that regard but these experiences keep happening you know they're ne- they're not going to stop they're going to keep happening there are patterns to them regardless of what you think about the existence of otherworldly beings, other dimensional beings, uh, and where they fit into the scheme of things. There are patterns to these experiences that are are quite documentable and have been documentable throughout history. Uh, So human beings have been interacting with these other realities for uh, millennia. And um, they sort of rise and fall in cycles of activity and even interest. But... um, where we're at right now with high tech and uh, a focus on uh, interstellar, and, um, you know, concepts and um, also um, research into the afterlife and all of these these other areas that take us beyond this uh, daily physical reality, uh, combine those things with a global mind and it's uh, a very fertile ground for a rapid increase in all kinds of literally mind-bending experiences. So how well are we going to cope?
1: Right. Well, you know, um, a lot of what you're saying really corresponds or connects, has a lot of similarity to my second book, which I'm hopefully will have out soon called Soul Psychology, Our Journey Through the Human Kingdom Universe. And it's, it's the same. It's all about those belief systems and how that affects us, and how our belief systems are. Uh, it, they really determine how we're going to respond to uh, our situations, our conditions, the people we meet, the, the paranormal, whatever. And because we have eons of lifetimes that have been programmed us in a way to have certain viewpoints and judgments and beliefs. And those affect very greatly how we interact in our world today, including how we're going to interpret or feel about any paranormal experiences that we may learn about or experience ourselves. So I loved all that part, what you were just saying about people's belief systems and how Every, and I also, I love, Rosemary, how you you don't go for the simple explanation. It's not just one answer or one way people look or one type of paranormal experience that different people have different experiences and it isn't just one, you know, you have the multi multi-dimensional and multi-viewpoint approach that... I find very refreshing because from the higher selves, that's the kind of approach they take also. You can't say always and never, or shoulds or shouldn'ts, you know, all of that kind of thing because as different as people are, the exact example that you used, as different as people are on the planet, wouldn't they be different in, in wherever else they're coming from or any other paranormal uh, situations or uh, phenomenon would be different? And we'd interpret them differently. We'd experience them differently, and all of that. So, basically, this is exciting. Because I, I feel like I have a, a connection to what you're saying. A very, very deep connection. And actually, the higher selves have also, even though I don't bring it out on any of my shows, or and it's not in any of my books yet i have much more information from the higher selves, and a lot of it dovetails with what you say and They would have some explanation on the gym and everything else I just haven't I haven't brought it forward yet, but it's exciting to hear about how you're interpreting it, how you're experiencing it, how you're sharing it, how you're helping us to understand it i mean it's just it's exciting anyway.
0: Oh, that's and uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm so delighted to be a contact in the desert because uh, it's such a wonderful forum for the exploration of uh, all of these concepts and uh, really these frontiers of change that that we are facing um, in, in terms of ETs and ufology. You know, we we have come in many respects. We've come a long way since uh, we started focusing a lot of attention in uh on this area post world war 2 uh and uh, our ideas about uh, who's out there and what's out there and, and what's happening um, uh we've we expanded considerably and uh it's forums like this uh that uh, bring together such a ferment of research and ideas and cutting edge uh, concepts that, um, in turn, help to fuel and promote and further uh, the exploration and the growth. So, um, quite quite uh, exciting to be part of this process.
1: Well, yes, and I'm, I can't wait to spend the day there and go to your talk and et cetera, et cetera, I think it's such an opportunity for people to really learn what's out there and new ideas. And now, would you go to actual people's talks and people's workshops? Would you actually go to see, is there anyone that's coming that you'd be interested to hear what they have to say? I know you're so busy and you do so much of your own research, but I'm just wondering if if there's something new for you.
0: There's always something new Janet and um another thing I appreciate about events like this is uh being able to network with uh, other researchers and uh, I do like to attend as many talks as I can it always varies by event um what I'm able to do but um uh I I really you know your work is uh is advanced uh through Uh, the work of other people. And uh, we're all contributing uh, research. We all do our own research. I do as much as uh, my own original field research uh, as I can. I mean, literally out in the field as well as um, immense amounts of reading and uh, study and interviewing people. And uh, we all learn from each other. So um, I'm going to be as active as I can for the entire weekend, take advantage of uh, all these fabulous people, uh, many many of whom I know personally, and, uh, you know, I see from time to time throughout the year at other events.
1: Right. Yeah, but how exciting, really. Very exciting. Well, now I'm going to change the subject slightly. I want to just ask you to define some terms that I know I didn't really recognize, and maybe some of the other listeners might not have, cryptids
0: uh that's a shorthand uh expression for the creatures of cryptozoology and uh, these would be like um uh animals that uh, have no known uh you know origins uh, dogmen um bigfoot even would be classified as a cryptid uh thunderbirds uh, animals that seem to be combinations of uh half human half animal uh, or uh, various kinds of animals. And uh, these are often seen out uh, in remote areas, uh, often spontaneously by people who uh, who don't expect to see them. Uh, and um, it's a field of uh, vigorous study uh, and uh, also very intriguing cases. There are uh, many hot zones. You know, the planet really is full of portals and hot zones, areas that... Seem to have ongoing activity in them, and it's not unusual to find areas where certain kinds of entities are seen from time to time in about the same location, and sometimes uh, doing similar activities. And the cryptids certainly fall into that. Um, there are areas uh, where uh, sightings of, of certain kinds of mysterious creatures have been documented for a long time, and not everybody's going to encounter them, but. Uh, there are enough reported cases that uh we seem to indicate that uh something unusual is going on geographically in various places and uh, joshua tree joshua tree uh has um uh, quite a reputation as hot zone too uh for a lot of uh ufo related activity Uh, sightings uh, in the area, you know, craft uh, sightings, E.T. contact. uh, Not far from the Joshua Tree uh, Retreat Center where the uh, conference is going to be held is uh, an area known as Giant Rock where uh, George Van Tassel uh, held forth several decades ago and said he had contact from alien beings who came down in the spacecraft and gave him information about how to create Uh, a chamber for time travel and cellular rejuvenation, and that chamber still exists today. It's called the Integratron. And um, the original documents after he died uh, related to time travel seem to have mysteriously disappeared, but the public can visit the Integratron today, and I will be going back there myself after the conference to experience um, a sound bath in this acoustically perfect dome that was built according to instructions from aliens given to a human being and people still have extraordinary contact experiences out at giant rock uh which is not too far from the integratron uh, and uh, the environs around giant rock so um coming to contact in the desert it's more than just uh hearing uh, fabulous presentations and uh, being able to you know network and Involved in fascinating conversations. It, uh, the surrounding area is just full of opportunity for personal experience.
1: It sounds fabulous.
0: Fabulous. Now, I'm not, I'm not really sure what to expect in May, except it's probably going to be a bit on the warm side. And um, okay, uh, I, I love the area. You know, I I, uh, I love the desert environment. Um, I've been out to Joshua Tree uh, a number of times. I've been through the uh, the park, of course, uh, and it, to some of the sky-watching points, too, that people have used in the past. And uh, a few months ago, I had an interesting experience with uh, my husband and, and a couple of friends. We uh, rented the room at the Joshua Tree Motel where rock musician Graham Parsons died uh, back in the early 70s, and it's rumored to be haunted um, to this day. And in fact, um, it, it is haunted. I'm not sure that he's there, but the room is haunted, and the hotel is haunted. And um, he supposedly was. Uh, well he, some friends intended to uh, cremate him uh out at, at a place called Cap Rock in the uh Joshua Tree National Park, which was a favorite sky watching place of his and um they only partially succeeded um but there's a kind of a little personal monument uh tribute to, to him out there and um uh, <laughs> It's a, you know, there are other haunted places around the area, too. Uh, deserts have, um, they have a very unusual vibe to them. And I think um, there are many desert areas where we really are in uh, kind of a thin portal place between our dimension and uh, otherworldly dimensions. There are places in New Mexico and Arizona and southern Colorado Um, The San Luis Valley is, uh, you know, very much like that, where people have contact and sightings and hauntings and mysterious creature encounters quite frequently.
1: Fascinating. Fascinating. Now, can I ask you a quick question? I'm from Connecticut also. Where Whereabouts are you from?
0: Uh, We live in New Milford, which is in uh, Litchfield County. It's the southern tip of Litchfield. Uh, we're um, not too far from Danbury, and uh, a little further away is Brewster, New York. We're very close to the New York line, about 75 miles out of Manhattan. It, yeah, it has changed a lot since I was there. Uh, it had fantastic restaurants then, but it's it's quite developed now.
1: Yes, yes, so, well, like um, I said a lot of places. <laughs> anyway, I want to just ask you a little bit more about some of the terms in your book, The Gin Connection, Nephilim. Mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that correct, Nephilim?
0: Yes, uh, or Nephilim. Um the um uh, they were the uh, giant offspring of the watchers and humans. And uh, there's just a, a very small reference to them in Genesis, uh, which talks about the sons of God uh were set to watch over human beings and um they started coveting human women and uh, left their posts and uh with human women and created these monstrous beings called the Nephilim who spread uh, violence and corruption uh, throughout the planet uh, to the point where uh, God decided to cleanse the earth with the flood. Uh, now, the details in the Bible are extremely sparse, but outside the Bible we find much more detailed accounts, such as in the Book of Enoch, uh, about them and who the Nephilim were, and uh, who were the sons of God, who are also called the Watchers. And uh, one of the things I've done with um, uh, trying to uh, trace our interactions with the jinn through, throughout history uh, is uh, look for uh, jinn tracks. Uh, what other beings uh, might be considered actually considered jinn? Uh, I do not think, at this point in my research, that the djinn account for everything, uh, even though they are masterful shapeshifters, but they can certainly hide among other entities. Uh, They can shapeshift and appear like other entities. I think they have been salted in all of our extraordinary entity experiences from the beginning of human history. And uh, at some point, I may arrive at uh, data that convinces me that they, they do account for everything, but I, at the moment, I uh, do not feel comfortable with that position. At any rate, uh, one can make a very convincing case that uh, these watchers are sons of God, uh, which would be another description of jinn, that they were jinn. They weren't angels. They weren't fallen angels. They were jinn. And that would be... Um, a characteristic uh, thing for the jinn to do, to be um, assigned that particular duty. Um, And uh, it's also well known that uh, they have had interactions, including sexual interactions with human beings throughout um, their engagement with us. That's um, uh, documented in various stories and in lore. And uh, so... Um, the jinn then may have created with human beings, these half jinn, half-human uh, hybrids, which um, kind of ran amok on the planet. And they were ca- corrupt and cannibalistic and bloodthirsty, vampiric literally, because they consumed flesh and blood. And um, in the Book of Enoch, uh, it is told how the angels go to God very distressed by uh, the situation um spreading around the planet. And uh, God becomes alarmed and orders the uh, the archangels to uh, round up the Nephilim and imprison them, and uh, then he uh, decides to cleanse the planet. But um, there are indications that, Neph- that the Nephilim were not all wiped out in the flood. Uh, we have to question whether everything except what was on the ark uh, was destroyed in the flood. Uh, it could have been only most things but there are references even in the Bible later on to uh, the Nephilim uh, having having survived. So um, uh, that raises some interesting uh, speculations and questions as to this hybrid bloodline, which uh, still might exist on the planet.
1: I see. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, have you found current examples of Nephilim anywhere? I mean, other than the Bible?
0: Uh, Well, there are, uh, you know, the the cases that have been made for the discovery of, like, giant skeletons. I see. And uh, they're quite controversial. Uh, Some might say that uh, these might be, um, you know, the traces of of the long-lost Nephilim, um, the gin being shapeshifters, uh, we don't obviously don't have giants in physical form running around on the planet, at least not in this dimension. Uh, but um, in most likelihood, they would have mutated onto uh, some other way of interacting with people. But uh, there does seem to be evidence that um, that, uh, that that their presence was not obliterated. Uh, from the flood.
1: Okay. They could be passed down genetically?
0: Well, that's a speculation. And uh, in uh, many areas of what we would call speculative history or archaeology or mythology, um, we can find footprints and patterns and sometimes um, pieces of evidence that are controversial but not conclusive Uh, and uh, would science accept any of this? Well, probably not to date.
1: I gotcha. And what
0: about archons? Uh, Well, these come out of uh, Gnosticism, and uh, here again we find traits uh, that could be applied to the djinn as well. The archons are inorganic beings who uh, become quite powerful and corrupt, and... uh, seek to manipulate human beings, which is a characteristic of um, many of these jinn who are interacting with us, that uh, they want to use and manipulate us um, for their own purposes, uh, either for entertainment or for uh, some sort of energy. Um, (coughs) Many of our encounters with them uh, revolve around Uh, being vampirized by them in some way, the life force or the blood or, um, you know, something else vital to um, the sustenance of life, uh, going to them for for their own purposes. And um, so we can find that sort of approach toward human beings, both in the Archons and in the Anunnaki, who um, supposedly were beings from uh, another world who came uh, and basically wanted uh, a slave trade for for mining the planet and um uh that was um uh, one of the functions that uh was filled uh by human beings and um in when you look at jin lore and uh the different ways that jin have have been described as interacting with uh human beings there are these constant themes of Um, manifest superiority, um, intentions to subjugate or manipulate or manage, um, that the jinn have considered us to be inferior life forms and uh, we are in many ways a resource or even a food source to some of them. And so we find these same themes throughout are uh, contact experiences of all kinds. So as, as I was saying earlier, I'm not saying that the archons were all jinn or the Anunnaki were all jinn, but they have, uh, they had, rather, uh, jinn traits and characteristics and attitudes toward human beings. And so would the jinn have been among them uh, were they shape-shifted jinn, or were the, the jinn just merely using these other opportunities as ways to also further their own uh, their own agendas with people? Uh, there are differing theories as to what the jinn really want, uh, and I think that uh, they have uh, no unified agenda, uh, that there are some who... Uh, feel disenfranchised for having lost out uh, dominion over this reality uh, to human beings. And like uh, any uh, race of, of uh, beings who are displaced from a homeland, uh, want to want to claim it back. I mean, just look at the wars on this planet that go on all, all the time over homeland territory uh, that is claimed by differing parties. And uh, then there are others who uh, look at human beings as a resource and want broader access to that, uh, and some who want uh, want to be entertained by us. They even some who uh, want to have sexual attachment to us. But um, if you were an entity uh, looking at human beings, and uh, especially in ancient times, and uh, wanting to have the greatest possible Manipulation over them, uh, what would you do? Well, you might set yourself up as uh, some sort of godlike being. And uh, that would fit their um, modus operandi and behavior patterns and characteristics quite well. So it seems to me almost like
1: what I was just going to say, it seems to me like you're trying to get kind of a, a universal concept or present a some sort of connecting link the gin connection that the, the gin could be part of these different phenomenon you're not saying uh, they, they are
0: they sure uh, okay, they they certainly they certainly could, and I believe that they have played bigger roles in uh, human history than we've given them credit for, especially in our culture uh simply because they um they've they've just fell below the radar with us and got consigned into this genie-in-the-bottle business which um, uh, relegates them to a fantasy backwater, uh, you know, a kiddie thing, uh, when they're anything but that. These are beings who um, have self-determination and free will. They are extremely intelligent. Uh, They have uh, societies and families and, uh, you know, organization um of their own and uh, they have uh, certain ideas about their own rights to self-determination just like we do so they're they are as complex if not more complex than human beings and um uh, i think that all of our ancient alien god uh and uh, entity visitor experiences uh need to be re examined from, from the standpoint of uh how are the gin involved in, in these.
1: I say. Yes. It's a kind of a unifying uh thought and theory, which is interesting. And and what about the reptilians?
0: Uh well, very strong connection there.
1: Can you describe exactly uh, not, what they are?
0: Well uh um, there are lots of different kinds of reptilians uh, as well, and um, some of them are said to be off-world, off-planet, and some of them are said to live beneath the surface, which uh, is a description um, from ancient times of the jinn, and in ancient times the jinn were said to uh, live below the surface of the earth and in caves and subterranean dwellings, and that uh, some of these have mixed with human beings to create uh create hybrids that they also are masterful shape shifters uh, extremely intelligent and have um uh, varying attitudes toward people in terms of um friendliness and hostility uh so there's a very strong connection between jin and reptilians because uh from their earliest lore one of their favorite shape shifted forms is the reptile, it's the snake. And uh, there are even uh, old stories uh, about the fall of Adam and Eve in which um, a djinn is involved in that, uh, either as a shape-shifted um, reptilian form or hiding within the mouth of uh, the reptilian form, which um, the form probably originally was um, uh, bipedal and not, uh, not a serpent, as is um, often shown in art. Uh, it was because of the fall that uh, this entity was uh, condemned to slither on on its belly.
1: I see. This is so interesting, and this is what, what the gin connection. Your book is is about the sort of unifying theme between these various phenomenon. And what your theories are and what your experiences are in all the research you've done. Um,
0: uh, we're all looking, I think we're all looking for an Oz behind the curtain, you know, that's going to be that unifying theory that's going to explain everything. And, uh, you know, what if, you what know, if we... What if just peel back another layer and there's still another curtain, um, uh, that there could be something behind the and The yin may not be the last the final explanation.
1: Very interesting. Very interesting. I'm just so enjoying this, uh, Rosemary. I'm learning a lot. Um, okay. So is there anything that I've missed that, that you would like to discuss
0: I think right. it's, uh, it's uh, uh, I'm, oh, by the way, I'm getting very bad feedback on my yeah. end now. I, I don't know, know. if I should,
1: I should. Oh, you're getting feedback? Oh, dear. Just started? Uh, uh,
0: it w- about it will- the last five minutes.
1: You look at all, all the things without locking down on the interpretation. And I work with a higher self, and that's something that they talk about a lot, is to not lock in because, truth is ever expanding. There isn't any the truth. There's truth and then the next level of truth and the next level of truth and the next level of truth. And so it just all thought, all ideas and concepts are in in a vertical frequency, so to speak. And so the, the ideas that we have today, if we lock into them, we lock out the expanded ideas of tomorrow. So, I'm putting you back on the mic, <laughs> um, anyway, so I see this very open mind that is just seeking and searching and trying to discover what's going on without doing the lock in process, and so I'm very confident that you will continue to expand and and describe and to entertain new and different and more, you know, unifying ideas. I'm
0: it's so important for uh researchers uh, to be flexible and willing to uh change their even their most cherished uh theories and ideas and convictions in the face of the data. And sometimes uh, people are able to do that more easily than uh some people are able to do that more easily than others. I I've, I had to change my own convictions about some things many times just uh, in the course of uncovering new data. Uh, you can't uh, force fit the data in, into your uh, theories and your convictions. You have to allow the data to, um, to guide you to uh, another apprehension of, of truth. And, yeah. uh, if it, if it turns out that all roads lead to gin, uh, then, uh, then I'm going to have to embrace that concept. Uh, there are people who are convinced that, uh, there's just human beings, angels, and gin, and that's it. And the gin account for everything, uh, which seems to me, at least, uh, in our, um, in our immediate sphere, um, that, that to me, at, at this stage, that seems to be rather limiting. I'm, can certainly see gin footprints everywhere, but given the fact that they're shape shifters and uh, they like to stay uh, kind of in the backdrop, they don't want uh, others knowing uh, of their presence and what they're up to, uh, that seems to be a good model for them to just kind of, um, you know, hide in plain sight. But um, I may find evidence that that points just to something else, or it may be something other than gin. Uh, I, uh, years ago, revised uh, a lot of my ideas about uh, reincarnation and about hauntings and ghosts um, because that's that's where the data led me. And I, I think we all have to do that. We have to be uh, as flexible as we can. And uh, especially with change happening ever and ever faster... Um, researchers are are continually challenged just just to keep up with developments
1: yes yes well it's exciting that you are in the field you are researching and you have that open mind and that you are you do go where the data leads you rather than trying to fit the data into your theory and i mean that's exciting and i think that's what makes you very um, adds a lot of power to what you say, and I mean, that's just me, that's just my op- opinion. <laughs> anyway, so we'll see how what happens with the gym. I'm excited to see where your research continues to lead you. Okay, now you talked earlier about meditating, and you, I, I think that you feel that meditation is a very good thing. Can you talk about it some more? What what does it help with and um, what kind of meditating you recommend or you engage in yourself?
0: In in this in, line in, of work, well, in, in life in, in general, life, I think it's very, very important in life in, in life general, general, but yeah. if you're going to if engage going to in the paranormal and normal extraordinary experiences, experiences Meditation, Meditation is one of the most important things, important
1: you, can things you can do on a daily, daily basis. basis. Yes, I do. And before my healings, I do what I what I call a conscious meditative healing, where we go into a state of amalgamation with the divine energies that we all carry in order to do the healing. And I take about five or ten minutes, depending. Um, When I'm working on the radio or with a group, for myself, I just would move into that state of amalgamation, I call it, but it's like a meditative state. I might take just a minute or two to get into it, and then I continue my work from that vibratory state. And anyway, it does. It brings you up into higher frequencies, and it's just... And I've told my listeners and people I work with, You don't have to go into a room and sit there for an hour. You can just do it for five minutes, and there's a benefit just from that. So, anyway. Yeah,
0: so that's, uh, it it has both personal and, uh, if you're in this field, professional benefit as well. So, uh, you know, I've been meditating for uh, most of my adult life, and um, it has a cum a cumulative effect as well. Uh, I've also studied energy healing, and for me that's been very important in this line of work too. Uh, I did not go into energy healing intending to be an energy healer professionally, but um, the what you learn from energy healing is uh, a very structured way of expanding your consciousness. And uh, people who... Um, need to improve their grounding if they're going to be in this work. It's very good. You'll learn how to um, open up safely and experience uh, different kinds of uh, data inputs and uh, evaluate them, um, improve your accuracy, and then uh, close down your your perception in a safe manner. It's not good to be open all the time. Uh, Some people seem to have the Odd notion that um, those of us who research in, in these fields we we go around with a psychic antenna open all the time, and that's simply not the case. You'd be absolutely overwhelmed and flattened
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> if, if you did. Uh, so I've often recommended to people just just take some introductory uh, uh, energy healing, um, and you'll you'll learn an awful lot about your own energy field and uh how other things as well as beings impact that energy field
1: yes it's it's a really interesting field so you do not do energy healings yourself although you've you've learned it do you find that it comes up from time to time for you in other words maybe you're working with somebody that you think that it would benefit them to have a healing would you then do it yourself or recommend them to somebody
0: um, uh, I, I don't really do I don't do health analyses uh on people. Okay. Uh and um uh, I do readings and consultations and uh, of course in my work I use psychic abilities. I uh, I don't really work professionally, you know, I don't call myself a psychic. Uh that's not my primary line of work, but uh I do provide readings and consultations to people of, of uh uh, varying kinds. I I will do like an intuitive uh, or psychication, um, and uh, I do dream work, uh, um, interpretations with people, uh, facilitation. I do past life regressions, and uh, so all of these things involve um, having a, a psychic engagement uh, with people, and uh, the nature of a reading uh, or even a past life regression can. Uh, be healing, uh, and even a dream work session can be quite healing for people. It depends on um, what the purpose of the session is and uh, what people are open to, and um, you know the individual circumstances. But um, that, that line, that kind of work, uh, has its healing components.
1: Yeah. Now, can you give the your website again, and how they can contact you if anyone wants to have a session with you?
0: My main website is uh, visionaryliving.com. And uh, there's a a contact uh, form and uh, also a services page where I uh, describe uh, those kinds of things. And uh, I also have a free newsletter, Strange Dimensions, which you can sign up for on my home page. And that comes out once a month. It involves uh, my activities, and <clears throat> I usually uh, have articles in it and answer questions from readers. And uh, in addition, then I have the Gin Universe site. That's DJI and Universe dot com, and that's an educational site uh, with information about the gin, and then uh, comments and <clears throat> reports from people all over the world. Their own experiences,
1: oh fascinating,
0: fascinating well, that's okay. a real well, eye opener for a lot of people.
1: I bet what I love about this work is that there's always expansion, there's always you know it's it's i think sometimes in the olden days, the paradigm was that you had to know everything and be the expert in everything and now, you know, you place yourself right into the learning curve along with everybody else that we're all in a process of moving and learning and growing and becoming becoming even more of what we are. Um, anyway, is there anything else that you want to discuss? or? Well, it's just you... a couple
0: things about, uh, about dreams. Uh, I will be on Coast to Coast on June 26th, uh, talking about my uh, latest dream book, Dreamwork for Visionary Living, which emphasizes the spiritual, psychic, uh, creative, and healing aspects of dreams. And, uh, in fact, that's um, my very first uh, radio show with George before he was a uh, host of Coast to Coast, uh, was on dreams. And uh, he had a show called Night Talk with a Night Hawk from St. Louis. And uh, he found uh, one of my dream books and uh, got in touch with me. And uh, my very first show, we had so many callers, the switchboard crashed.
1: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
0: I became became known as the dream lady, and and, uh, George had me on uh, two or three times a month just talking about dreams. And uh, so, uh, you know, since he's been host of Coast to Coast, we've had many shows on dreams. It's been a recurring popular topic Uh, for both of us, and uh, so I'm delighted to be back on with him on June 26th. And then uh, another development for me is to uh, become a Dream Oracle. And, um, in fact, my my profile should be live uh, later today or tomorrow on a website called dreamsocial.co. And I met the founder and creator of Dream Social, uh, Masood Safi, uh, at the Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles in February and um uh, we had a discussion about dreams and he invited me to participate in a site. It's a wonderful site. Um uh, it's free. There's an app that you can download and um you can uh put your you can keep a private dream journal online by voice or by text. You can post your dreams and invite others to uh, comment on them. You can comment on other people's dreams. And um, there's a dream dictionary to consult. And then, if you want uh, some in depth personal attention for uh, a modest fee, you can hire a dream oracle. And um, there are three of us now on the side. I'm the third one, I'm joining Masood, and then um, an English expert on dreams who I've admired for many years Tony Crisp and I have Tony's uh dream um, dream book uh and dictionary which is a phenomenal resource and uh, you can ask one of us to uh, to provide um a little more detailed uh consultation for dreams but um I really applauded uh, Masood for uh this website there are a lot of websites on dream dictionaries and how to interpret your dreams. But his is so well done and so interactive uh and so user friendly. Uh and I've always felt dreams to be so important that um there and there are articles too on the website that uh uh it's a wonderful way to get acquainted with the dream world and um you can download this free app for for either your Android or iPhone devices and uh, have it on your laptop, and uh, participate as much as you want. So uh, dreamsocial.co.
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. Congratulations on being a Dream Oracle. I'm sure you'll help a lot of people. It's been really fantastic. I do like that title.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes, well, I do. It makes me feel very ancient. <laughs> ancient, but
1: powerful. <laughs> um, so, great. Now, let's just talk maybe just because we have only a few minutes left. Let's review about the Contact in the Desert. It's a fabulous expo coming up that that Rosemary will be a key speaker, and she's a headliner at this incredible event. I have heard wonderful things, and I do know that there's some fantastic people who are speaking. And I think that is kind of winding it up. I've just so enjoyed having you today. Really, Rosemary, thank you. You are a fount of wisdom and so interesting.
0: Well, it was wonderful talking with you uh, today, Janet. Janet, and, and I hope I hope we do have a chance to meet a contact in the desert.
1: Yes, definitely, but even still, the radio has been fascinating. It's been great. Thank you so much.
0: Well, you're very well, welcome, okay. and I look forward to seeing everybody else out of contact, and in the meantime, if, they, if um, uh, you want information, then visit the contact on the desert site and also my website, visionaryliving.com. Terrific.
1: Thank you so much, and have a wonderful travel wherever you are right now. I know you said you were in a hotel. So, I hope your travels go well and May 29th is Around the Corner. So, I'll be seeing you soon. Thank you, Janet.
0: Thank you, Janet.
1: Okay. Bye-bye, Rosemary. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Janet Richmond and the Higher Self Voice. Visit Janet's website at JanetRichmond.com to view all of her upcoming events or to buy her book, Choices, Neutralizing Your Negative Thoughts and Emotional Blueprints.